This is John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Al, for praying. And thank you so much to Rachel for reading as well this morning. So hello, everybody. I am really pleased to be here and have an opportunity to share God's word with you. I'm just picturing all your faces at this point and sending you all lots of love. Um, and just to start off, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me into your homes for the next half hour or so. So the action within our passage for today, it takes place in a private house in an upper room during the Last Supper. And interestingly, this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it's only recorded in John's Gospel in the 13th chapter. Now, this is a story I really love because it paints such a stunning picture of Jesus. And as we study it together this morning, really I'm praying three things that the Holy Spirit would breathe life and fresh revelation and insight into this pretty well-known story that will actually get a sense of what it would have been like to have actually been present in that room with Jesus and his disciples. And finally, that studying this today will then spill over into what the Holy Spirit wants to say through it to us in this moment that we find ourselves in. Now, I recently watched 
all eight episodes of The Chosen, the drama which is based on the life of Jesus. Highly recommend it to you if you haven't seen it as yet. Jesus was just portrayed so, so beautifully. I was completely captivated from the beginning to the end and completely gutted when I realized I'd come to the very last episode. Bruna had recommended it to us and the words that she used were, it made me fall in love with Jesus all over again. And having seen it, I completely resonate with that. And I think one of the things that stood out for me were his interactions with people, especially those rejected by society. They were just so precious. As I was preparing this, I was trying to imagine the actual scene as it happened all those years ago and how Jesus washing the disciples' feet may be depicted when the next episodes of The Chosen come out. And it kind of got me thinking about how I personally might direct the scene myself. So let's put our God-given imaginations to work together for a few moments and place ourselves in that upper room. Now, Jesus at this point, he would have been fully aware of what lay ahead from him. And it says in verse three that he came from God and was returning to God. So in light of this, he must have been dealing with a wide range of emotions. I can picture his eyes moving from one disciple to the next across the table. How completely he loved them, their unique and their quirky individual personalities how he had loved journeying with them and traveling around with them over the last three and a half years. He had tried to prepare them, in fact, several times, but they just didn't get it. They just didn't get that this was their last meal together, that their discipleship journey with Jesus, as they had known it, with him physically present, was going to be coming to an end. They just didn't get the suffering that was just around the corner. Now, ultimately, Jesus knew that this was God's redemptive plan, that he would be put to death, but that he would rise again to reconcile all men to God. And he knew that these disciples, despite their wobbles, and there are quite a few wobbles, between now and then, would ultimately be key to building his church. But there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of heartache to come before that. With their oblivion in mind, I can imagine the buzz of conversation around the table. A bit of banter, I would say, in there too, as they shared stories and they chatted about their day and enjoyed one another's company. The meal now finished, Jesus would have made his move. Now, picture that buzz gradually starting to fade away to astonished silence as one by one, all eyes became fixed on their rabbi and their Lord as Jesus started to remove and lay aside his outer garment, revealing his tunic underneath. And as he did so, he started to take on more of the appearance of a servant dressed to serve a meal they must have been thinking, what on earth is he doing? And why was he taking a towel and tying it around his waist? And now he was pouring water into a basin. As confusion and a thousand questions flooded their minds, I can imagine how Jesus lovingly approached the disciples one by one, looking each of them in the eye with that beautiful, all-knowing smile of his. 
how he knelt down before each one in turn, perhaps whispering gentle encouragements as he began to wash their feet, afterwards wiping them with the towel wrapped around his waist. Can you get a sense of the intimacy here? The intimacy of each encounter, the washing of their feet, a prophetic act foretelling the ultimate cleansing work of the cross. I also believe that this encounter was a key moment in preparing these men spiritually, almost awakening them for what was to come and the role that they would play as servant leaders in the early church. And in a similar way, the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, I believe that this is a significant moment. Jesus is inviting us to allow the Holy Spirit to wash over us in a life-giving way, cleansing, refreshing, and empowering. I think this is a stance that we need to take at this moment. We have such a unique set of circumstances that have paved the way for God to call us to be still. Now, I can completely appreciate that it's not easy for parents with little ones 24-7 at the minute. And we are really praying that you too um, will find some time to meet with God. But many distractions have been removed for a lot of us and the pace has slowed. A refocusing on Jesus, space to allow him to continue to do something profound, beautiful and powerful. That's what I believe we're in at the minute to propel us forward into playing our part in terms of what he is doing in our lives individually, but also as a church. So I would love to encourage you this morning. In this moment, don't rush away. Be still, just like the disciples were in these precious moments, and know that he is God. Holy moments are to be experienced in this season to prepare us for the next. And I really feel that God is encouraging us all. Those who seek will find. To those who knock, the door will be opened and opened wide. Now, last week was our Pentecost Sunday service, and it was just so special as we remembered and celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. His presence was really tangible in many of our homes. And in the same way, can I just encourage you this morning, let's be expectant. Invite the Holy Spirit right now to come into your homes once again, to touch you and to meet with you, giving him permission to do a transformational work. Before we move on, Let's place in context the necessity for feet washing in those days. And also, I think it's worth appreciating the potential physical awkwardness of the act that Jesus was doing. So tables in those days were actually pretty low to the ground. So the disciples would most likely have been reclining on their left arms, supported by cushions, freeing up their right hand to eat. And as the tables were so low, feet would have been very visible. I think it's fair to say that you wouldn't necessarily describe people's feet as soft and pretty. Now, they don't bother me at all, but did you know that podophobia, the fear of feet, is much more common than you might think? And apparently, it affects many people across the globe to the point where they really struggle to go to a shoe shop or even to buy socks. 
So how people suffering from this would have fared in these days, I have absolutely no idea. It's well known that sandals were the footwear of that day. And the Palestine roads of Israel, they were filthy in the first century. So you had dust and dirt combined with rubbish and waste from animals. So the resultant blackened, smelly feet combined with the low table issue was far from ideal. So in light of this, slaves, particularly Gentile slaves, submissive wives and children, they would have had the role of cleaning feet. Where no slave was present, the host would have simply provided a basin of water so that his guests could wash their own feet. Now, there was no slave present on this occasion, and there's no way that would ever have occurred to the disciples to wash one another's feet because their hearts and their attitudes just weren't quite there yet, as we'll look at a little bit later. Now, I'm going to show you something that they could have done with in these days. So these are my husband Chris's very special sandal socks that he is very fond of. Now, I think it's hard to get the, the full special effect when they aren't been worn, but unfortunately, Matt and Andrew weren't willing to model them for me, so you'll just have to use your imagination for those. But back to our story. Let's delve right back in with our imaginations again. So Peter... The feisty character that he was, he was portrayed brilliantly in The Chosen, exactly how I imagine him. Peter would have watched Jesus move around the room from disciple to disciple. And I can just imagine him, eyes like saucers, the extreme emotional response rising up within him until he can hold back no longer the explosion of objection. So when it's his turn, Jesus approaches his friend Peter, I would say, knowing rightly what was coming. The exchange which followed initially involved Peter's absolute refusal to allow Jesus to wash his feet, completely confirming Jesus' previous statement that he just didn't realize or understand what Jesus was doing at that point. And maybe that's a little like us. When we think of our circumstances right now, we're not 100% sure what God is up to in these days, but we can have confidence that he knows exactly what he's doing. So Peter exclaims in verse eight, no, you shall never wash my feet. However, as the necessity of this act is realized at the risk of having no part with Jesus, this is quickly followed by the other extreme of Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head as well. Interestingly, Peter's initial reason for his objection and for his ultimate submission all comes down to seeing Jesus as his Lord. You see, here was Jesus, and he was their adored and esteemed rabbi or teacher. When a famous rabbi passed in the street, people stood as a sign of respect, and they were offered the best places um, when having meals at banquets. And Jesus was recognized as far more than just a rabbi. He was their Lord, the one to whom they belonged and owed obedience. The Greek word karios, it means Lord or master, the one who's in charge in a position of authority. 
So to see his rabbi and Lord stooping so low as to wash the feet of his apprentices, it was almost more than Peter could stand. Maybe the closest thing that we could align this with would be dining with the queen. And towards the end of the meal, she whips out her shoe polish and insists on shining all our shoes. Now, how wrong and how weird would that be? Peter's response was strong and Jesus' response was equally strong. Interestingly, he acknowledges where they're coming from, that in their eyes, this must have appeared completely inappropriate because he says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So, I love this bit, he establishes his right to be served, yet he then takes that right and he turns it on its head in verses 14 to 16. This is what he says. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. As their Lord, he beautifully models the upside down nature of the kingdom that we sometimes talk about. In this moment, his death imminent, one of the greatest and most important lessons that he can teach his disciples, the ones who will go on to build his church, is to live a life where they serve others, which to me emphasizes just how seriously we need to take this too. Now, ironically, as I'd referred to a little bit earlier, it wasn't too long before this that the disciples had been fighting for a leadership position. So we had James and we had John, and they were asking if they could sit on one side of him as an honor when Jesus began to rule his kingdom. And they even got their mum to talk to Jesus as well about it. After all, as first cousins of Jesus, surely it wasn't an unreasonable ask. In fact, on three occasions, the disciples had arguments around who was the greatest, trying to work out their ranking order. Both these conversations and the strict cultural boundaries were completely knocked on their head in this moment. I think if we're all really honest with ourselves, we can relate to the disciples to some degree. I don't believe that any of us are 100% secure in our identity. I know I'm not, to the point where we are completely unaffected by what others think or live outside of the need to achieve or be recognized in some way to boost our self-confidence and our sense of self-worth. The promotion and work, the title you may be given, the feeling buying that fancy car gives you, the number of likes you may get on Facebook, and the thing is, these insecurities are there from absolutely no age. It made me think about a little story about one of our daughters. So at this point, um, it was quite a long time ago, Chris and myself were leading our church, Upper Van Vineyard, and uh, we had some sort of an event which included a bouncy castle. So our little girl would have been about three, I think, at this stage, and for some reason, somebody had gone and asked her if she could get off. And that little rascal turned round and she said, don't you know I'm one of the pastors here? Now, 
I was completely mortified, but Chris thought that this was absolutely hilarious. But even at such a young and tender age, she was trying to elevate her status. In light of this acknowledgement, how much do we all need to draw close to Jesus daily, to allow and to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to us so that we can start increasingly operating out of the truth around who we are, our self-worth and value as designed by him. We are sons and daughters of the King, fearfully and wonderfully made and fully accepted and loved in his sight. Otherwise, the enemy will use our insecurities to hold us back greatly in terms of who we are called to be and what we are called to do in terms of building God's kingdom. We need to remember this is a spiritual battle that we are engaged in. Even when we think about this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, with all of its beauty and intimacy and significance, the enemy was at work. Judas was also present in that room. And although Jesus seemingly washed his feet also, we know that he was soon to betray him. Jesus did this feet washing as an example of how he was calling the disciples to live. He was basically modeling it out. Yet I believe that this act was above everything else immersed in love, a love reflective of his father's perfect love. The second part of the first verse of our chapter 13 beautifully articulates this. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As I outlined at the start, Jesus loved his disciples and he knew that his remaining time with them was both limited and precious. And the humility expressed by this act was shortly after followed by the ultimate act of humility and love on the cross. That term love, it's actually used 31 times in John in chapters 13 to 17 alone. That's a lot of times. And what did Jesus define as the greatest commandment? To love God and to love others with all your heart. This is exactly what we're called to do too. To serve others, but not out of a sense of duty or as a religious exercise, but from an overflow of the love that Jesus has for us. We love because he first loved us. I came across the most beautiful quote by Mother Teresa, and it says this, it's not about how much you do, but how much love you put into what you do that counts. Jesus came to this earth as a suffering servant. We can read that in Isaiah 53. He was not the expected king and conqueror. And in the previous chapter, we read how he had ridden into Jerusalem, not on a horse, the usual mode of transport for kingly figures, but on a common donkey. In fact, his whole ministry, it was seeped in serving, delivering those bound by demons and healing and freeing the sick. And really, this passage, it is such a challenge for every one of us. Jesus came as a servant king 
our servant king, to serve, not be served. Today, every day, and I'm speaking to myself here too, are you willing to make time to be still before Jesus? Are you willing to let him wash your feet alone? Or do you recognize the need for spiritual cleansing that this bathing represented to the point where you cry out just as Peter did, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well? This posture is what will then propel us into naturally serving others, not because we have to, but because we just can't help ourselves but demonstrate the heart of Jesus blessing others as if we were serving Jesus himself. A beautiful fruit of this epidemic has been almost a propelling of people to love and to serve and to look beyond themselves to those in their communities. Think about all those who put themselves on the front line, prepared to put their very lives at risk. Something really significant has been sparked within many people. A desire to help, to do something, to come alongside others, to give of themselves in some way. Almost a holy reestablishment of community and the individual's place in it. I sense that there has been, and actually there's continuing very much to be, a spiritual awakening in many respects resulting from the situation that we've all found ourselves in. And last Sunday service really highlighted that to me even more. I can't quite get away from this term spiritual awakening as I'm praying and just getting a sense of what God's doing in these days. An awakening in terms of our need as Christians to draw closer to God, the source of our hope and peace. A recognition of an invitation almost to a new depth of intimacy and perspective. So much has been stripped away, revealing the things that are of true worth. An awakening in respect of many looking beyond themselves to serve and to bless others. And I'm not just talking about Christians. That's the amazing thing here. An awakening in terms of one quarter of the population of Britain tuning in to online church services. The fact that prayer has been the most Google term over the last 10 or so weeks. God is moving and he is revealing himself and touching so many lives through this bizarre set of circumstances to the point where the church is daring to believe that this could well be the start of the revival that we have been crying out for, that God is using this situation in ways that we could never have foreseen. I loved our recent Emmanuel video highlighting many of the different ways that people have been blessing others, how this has manifested itself. I know that this goes way beyond just our church family. A recent study conducted by Insurers Legal and General and the Centre for Economics and Business Research has highlighted something really interesting. One in five adults in the UK have volunteered their time in the community since lockdown began. The article reads, and judging by the millions who plan to continue after lockdown, it's a change that's here to stay. That's so encouraging, isn't it? 
our prayer needs to be that we don't lose this. That when things become busier again, when some sort of normality resumes, let's pray that our new normal will naturally involve more serving and preferring others than we have ever known. And we also need to really pray that in the midst of serving others and reassessing life and what is really of value, those who don't yet know Jesus but are so obviously searching will discover and encounter who he is. And I really pray that the church will be ready for this harvest. I also came across um, an article detailing brain studies by a number of scientists. So it's bustle.com if you want to have a, have a little look. So very brief summary, 1,150 participants had their brain scanned as they blessed or served people in some capacity. Now, that's not the exact terminology they use, but in essence, that's what was happening. They identified two types of kindness, strategic kindness, serving others, but hoping that you'll get something in return. This resulted in a rush of positive feelings. And then there was altruistic kindness, serving others with no reward in sight, which resulted in the same rush of positive feelings, but it also released feelings of reward, which lit up the whole spectrum of the brain, giving a sense of well-being. I find this really fascinating. Could it be that our creator has wired us in such a way so as to thrive and to experience life in its abundance more fully as we live lives of ultimate obedience, putting others before ourselves and serving as a natural part of our days on this earth? After all, having explained the calling to serve others in verse 17, Jesus states, now you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And let's think as well that the reverse of this could also be true. That maybe looking inwardly, meeting and focusing on our own needs could actually rob us of these positive feelings, that sense of well-being that we all need to more fully live a life of wholeness and happiness. My heart, and I'm sure it's the same for many of you too, is to become more like Jesus. I want to increasingly see others through his eyes. I want to feel his love and his compassion for those he puts in my path. To allow Jesus to daily wash the stain of my sin as I journey through life as an imperfect person. And I'm so grateful for the encouragement of Ephesians 5, verse 26, which reassures us that the Holy Spirit lives within us through the washing of water by the word, given to equip us for every good work. The Spirit came on that first Pentecost Sunday after Jesus told his disciples to wait. Now, this is so key for us to grasp this morning. Up to this point, they weren't ready to start their earthly ministry, which was to continue the work that Jesus had started and had so clearly modeled to them. To truly be like Jesus, they needed the supernatural help of the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus wasn't the first person to wash people's feet, but it was what he was carrying and the love expressed in his actions that made them so powerful. You see, the truth is that when we serve in our own strength, we're actually giving people something less than Jesus. But we have the opportunity to demonstrate not just our own God-given ability to serve well, but to impart something much, much more to people who are broken and hurting, desperate for hope and meaning, when so many of their false securities have been taken away. And we need to really start truly believing that as we serve, led by the Holy Spirit, that people are going to encounter Jesus and that, that in that encounter, they will turn and give their lives to him. To bring this to a close this morning, I believe that God wants to minister to us as the Holy Spirit nudges you with a little that's me recognition as I go through a few areas that we have covered that I feel he's highlighted and wants to bring some freedom in this morning. For some of you, he has raised in your hearts your struggle with self-worth, which holds you back confidence-wise from moving forward into everything that God has for you. He would love to bring you freedom and speak the truth over you today. I sense that the Holy Spirit has been gently and lovingly highlighting to some people that you struggle to trust to let Jesus fully flood you with his living waters that bring life, forgiveness, and empowerment to serve others. He would just love you to bring this before him this morning to allow him to minister into this area. And lastly, I felt God highlight some people are almost operating out of a sense of duty rather than drawing from their relationship with Jesus as a life-giving source of love that can then overflow, like we've been talking about, from your heart for others. He has so much joy and blessing for you to experience in the midst of serving from the well of his heart and his compassion. He's inviting you to come and drink this morning. And if you're joining us today and would like to find out more about this incredible man, Jesus, I've been talking about, or if you'd like to begin a relationship with him today, we have a number that will be coming up on the screen shortly that you can call, which is also available for anybody who would like any type of prayer ministry or to respond in any way this morning. So let us pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you have been very present with us. You are very present with us. Father, we pray that, that you would do a deep work in each of us, in each of our hearts this morning, Lord. Our desire is to serve others the way you modeled Jesus. You modeled us so, so beautifully. So Lord, I just pray that in every home, right now, that your Holy Spirit would come. Lord, thank you that we are your sons and daughters, accepted fully by you. Just have your way this morning, Lord Jesus.
Amen.